0: The birthday of the church. You might not even know that, but we sang about the Holy Spirit as we entered into the service because today is the day that we remember took place 2,000 years ago, and we read about it in the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit came down on the first generation Christians in Jerusalem. And it makes possible what we're going to read in our scripture reading for today. So before we get into that scripture reading, let's take just a few moments and watch a short video that brings us back to that first Pentecost for Christians, that first day where the Holy Spirit came upon them. Let's watch.
1: What happened that day when the Spirit arrived? When the Holy Spirit came, what happened then? It got loud, loud enough to be heard all over town. Fire appeared, divided and dispersed to each of them. The outsiders came running, and they heard the fire talkers tell of God's mighty works in their own language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. The Spirit had come to describe the glory of God in their native tongues through those who followed Christ. These representatives of the world stood astounded but curious, bewildered but ready. Then Peter showed them from the scripture, exactly what it meant, revealing God's promise to all who trust in Jesus. And many believed, and many repented, and many were baptized, and many were saved. The Spirit had come. The Church was born.
0: If you would join me in our reading today, if you brought your Bibles, open it up. Uh, We're in Acts, or I'm sorry, not Acts, that came from Acts. We are going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I must be feeling a little unoriginal this week. I'm going to start my sermon the same way I did last week with a question the question is what is your favorite way to celebrate a birthday what's your favorite way to celebrate a birthday and I'd like to get an answer or two from the people joining us here in person if you're online share in the comments what's your favorite way to celebrate a birthday anybody just yell it out what was that Family. I heard family. The last service person said, ignore it. (laughs) Pretend it doesn't exist. But the next person said family. Anybody else? Or how many people would agree with that answer? Just show of hands. I posted this on social media this week, this question. And six people responded almost immediately. And five out of the six said the same thing you did. They said family. The sixth person was a close second. He said cake and ice cream. But I think he would agree that cake and ice cream taste even better when it's enjoyed with family, with those that you love. And, and I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, it seems fitting... That as we celebrate each year of the gift that is our life, that we would desire to do that with the gift that is the lives of those around us, the people that we care about. See, See, cards and gifts and ice cream and cake, those are all great things, don't get me wrong, but they don't compare to the gift of being with one another. Well, today is our sixth... Sunday in our series we're doing on prayer. And again, as I said before, it's also a day that's known as Pentecost. It's the day uh, that we consider the birthday of the intergenerational, multi-denominational, cross-millennial, global church. You may not even know it, but millions of Christians all around the world today are celebrating this event that took place 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Uh, The timeline of events that led before this was the Passover, the last supper that Jesus shared with the disciples, occurred on Thursday, right? Good Friday, he died on the cross. On Easter Sunday, he rose from the grave. You remember that? Forty days later, he ascended to the Father in heaven. And ten days after that, the church was born on Pentecost. But a question that I had uh, for a number of years, even after becoming a Christian and going to church was, why do you consider this the birthday of the church? I mean, if you go back to Acts chapter 2 and you read about it, that's not exactly the way it's described. But simply put, the answer to that is that Jesus had made a promise. He made a promise before, the, before he died and before he rose to the disciples, and it came true on that Pentecost. It's written in John chapter 14. Jesus said this. He said, if you love me and keep my commands... I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. This promise Jesus makes to those who follow him both then and today is that God would be so close... That he wouldn't just be with you, but he would literally be in you. And this series on prayer has really been about us trying to more fully realize this in our prayer lives. And, and it's part of how we've defined prayer. Say this part with me because we've been saying it every week and I want it to really ingrain in our minds. Prayer connects the present to the eternal. Now I want to hear the people online. Let's say it again. Prayer connects the present To the eternal. And this kind of prayer that connects the present to the eternal is only possible because the eternal was given to dwell in you and me. And that happened 2,000 years ago. In its fullness, the Holy Spirit came down on a group of people, not on a Christian holiday, but on a Jewish festival day that comes 50 days after the Jewish festival. Passover. How many of you have heard of the Passover? Show of hands. It's the day the Jewish people remember what happened thousands of years ago in Exodus when they were slaves in Egypt and the angel of death passed over their homes. They painted the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and eventually this led to their physical freedom. Then 50 days after that, as they were in the wilderness, as they were free from slavery, they celebrate another thing that happened on another festival. In Hebrew, it's called Shavu out. Say that with me. Shavuot, we learned a little bit of Hebrew, I think, I don't speak it fluently, but that Hebrew word Shavuot is the word that we then translated later into the Greek word for 50 which is Pentecost and for the Jews it was the end of the grain harvest season. And so at the end of the grain harvest season, they would come together and they would thank God for providing the grain. And I had a lot of farmers in the last service, and they were thanking God for the rain that we're finally getting. And it's the same thing at the end. You thank God for doing everything that only he can do to provide for what we need. But more important than that, it wasn't just for the grain But they were also thanking God for giving them his word. He had given them the Torah. He had given them the Ten Commandments. And most years on Pentecost, because this is the original meaning of this day, I like to quote a Jewish commentator who said this. He said, Passover freed us physically from bondage. Right? They were slaves. But the giving of the Torah on Shavuot on Pentecost, redeemed us spiritually from our bondage of idolatry and immorality. Why? Because that's when God gave them his word. That's when God gave them the Bible. The Passover bought their freedom. God's word taught them what that freedom looked like. And then on the first Pentecost, for the Christians gathered in Jerusalem through Jesus, the presence of God through the Holy Spirit gave them the power to actually live free. I think of it like the Jews going to their mailboxes every year for their birthday and getting a birthday card from God. And then this year, God didn't just send a card, but he came and he was with them at the party. Now for those who were gathered there and all who would follow in their footsteps, that includes you and me, he never left and it becomes a defining distinction. Between the people on earth who know Jesus and the people who don't. And it is today a distinction, just as it was back then, that once you experience it, you are literally referred to as being born again. You've heard those words before, right? Titus 3 says it this way. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is the promise that we remember in our baptism. That's the promise that's made. This is the promise that at the next service our confirmation students are going to affirm because they were too young to know what that meant when they were baptized. It's the promise that we remember but we often neglect, especially as Lutheran Christians, as we focus on the water and we don't focus enough on the Spirit, which would kind of be like being so focused on all that cake and ice cream, right? that you'd forget the person who made it and brought it to the party is standing right there in front of you, which takes us to the prayer that we have been going through throughout this series, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us how to pray. We're going to be focusing on verse 13, but let's read it out loud together and begin at verse 9. Jesus teaches these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now there's a common misconception that I hope I challenge often, and that is, this idea that when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, when you have the Holy Spirit, when you pray, that somehow that makes everything else in life go smoothly. And I don't know where that comes from. It doesn't come from the Bible. I have not experienced it as a pastor or as a Christian, and I've been one for 18 years and hasn't come yet. I don't know where it comes from. And I also know that it doesn't come from the words of Jesus. If you look at the way he teaches us to pray when we're tempted and for rescue from the evil one. If you reverse engineer verse 13, it suggests to us that Jesus is preparing us for moments when we're going to be tempted. He's preparing us for moments when the evil one is going to put us in situations that we are going to need to be delivered by God from. And the reason why he's preparing us for that is because life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard, whether you're a Christian or or not. And our reading from Romans today to the church in Rome is Paul graphically describing the current state of creation and just how difficult it is, both then and now. The tensions that we live within our created world. But he also does that with an awareness of Pentecost. And that's why he can say in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul acknowledges that on the other side of heaven, there will be indescribable joy. That if you try to compare it to the worst of the pain that we experience in this life, will be nothing in comparison to the joy that will be revealed, not just to us and in front of us, but inside of us. And then he goes through, and it's a long passage, so I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But if you look back at what we read just a few minutes ago, he talks about what those present sufferings look like. Paul describes them as a creation that is eagerly waiting and frustrated by circumstances in this world that are imposed on it against its will. They feel like they are held captive to decay. How many people here could relate to at least some of that at some point in your life, now or in the past? That's how it feels, right? That's how he describes the world. Frustrated by the circumstances that we cannot change, held in bondage to the process of decay. And this made me think of something, Um, this past year, uh, it was a number of months ago now, actually, we, we had to say goodbye um, to what felt like a, a dear member of our family. Uh, try not to get choked up. We'd been, she'd been in our life for 13 years. She was trustworthy. She was beautiful. She was budget conscious. I really liked that about her. She was amazingly fuel efficient. We had to say goodbye to my old Honda Civic. 13 years in that car. 13 years. Some of you are laughing and some of you are like, I get it, I am a little too emotionally attached to my cars too. Here's why. Here's why. This car and I have been a few places Over 200,000 miles that we spent together before we had to say our goodbyes. And I say that her and I have been together because even though she was a family car, she predates by several months when my wife Alyssa and I were first married. She was actually still so new and shiny then that she was the nicest car we had, and she became our wedding getaway car. There's Alyssa and I in the back seat of that Honda Civic. Isn't Alyssa beautiful? Isn't uh, I'm just making sure she's listening to me isn't Alyssa beautiful right you can clap for that me on the other hand I have more wrinkles and less hair so we won't go there. But that was a long time ago, right? She was there for the wedding. She wasn't just there for the wedding. She took us on our honeymoon. We drove all the way to Myrtle Beach in the Carolinas. We drove through the Smoky Mountains. Sea. here's a picture. I must have been trying to take a picture of the car and my w- new wife, right, right here. This was in front of... The, the place that's known as the As Seen on TV outlet, um, it was in the middle of the Smoky Mountains and it was not worth going to, let me tell you. I don't know if it still exists or not, but it wasn't. But there was the car, there was my wife, and that car gave us a wedding gift because as we drove on that trip, she got over 40 miles to the gallon which as I was thinking about it now, I was newly married and I'm doing the math on the fuel efficiency of my car on my honeymoon. So sorry, Les, (laughs) probably not the most sensitive. This car, it's been everywhere. It it, it brought our children home from the hospital, including our two, our adopted daughter, our soon-to-be-adopted son. Uh, Here's a picture, that's Jacob, our oldest son. He's 12 now. That's him in the car seat in the back. Of that car, that car took me safely back and forth to St. Paul, Minnesota, many times over the years that I was getting my masters in seminary while I was living and serving full time here in Wisconsin. And she never gave me any problems either, except that one time that I was visiting Doug Ammon. He's a member of our church. I was at his rose garden, and the the starter died, and I had to have it towed. <laughs> Or the three summers where the air conditioning didn't work and I was too cheap to get it fixed. But hey, every relationship has its bumps, right? It's just the way it goes. But even in the midst of all that, seriously, it was a great car. And I tried to take care of it as well as I could. Get oil changes and all of those kinds of things but even as I took care of it, eventually it started to break down. It was about two years ago, um, we were in a parking lot, and, and I was so frustrated because I, I was at a, at a Christmas party, and I came back out, and someone had hit my back bumper. I don't know who it was, they didn't leave any evidence except for a giant hole in the back of the bumper of the car. And it was at that age where you don't want to really put any money into it. And so I brought it to the body shop and I said, I just need you to fix it. Aftermarket parts are fine, all that stuff. And while you're at it, there's some rust on the side. And so I showed him where it was starting to rust out. And I said, can you fix that too? And the guy laughed at me and he gave me a bottle of paint. And he said, you know how you fix rust on a car that old? When you see more rust, you put on more paint. <laughs> that's just what you do. And so that's what I did. Because see, when it comes to cars, and we all know this, right? There's only so much you can do. Eventually they rust. Eventually they break down. And so when you look back at the words in Romans, you could say that cars, just like creation, are in bondage to decay. In bondage to inevitable decay. The Apostle Paul says that all of creation is like that. He says the creation is kind of like my car. It was all shiny and new and all the parts all worked together when God created it. And and those are all the wonderful memories and glimpses that we can see even now as they all work together so well. But over time, they start to break down. And creation has started to break down, and we can see signs of it being broken down. I think about my car, and over those 13 years, it didn't just take me to joyful places. That car, I'm a pastor, was in countless funeral processionals. That car took me down to Illinois to go and visit my grandmother after she had breathed her last breath so that I could say goodbye before they took her body away. That car took my wife Alyssa home from the hospital twice without our children because they were too sick to come home and had to stay in the neonatal ICU. See, we can see signs like that in the creation itself as we watch how the harsh winter of sin has had its impact and things don't work the way they're supposed to. See, Paul summarizes all of that in Romans 8. And he summarizes this tension by beginning a transition in imagery in verse 22. Take a look at this. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning. Can I get an amen? Because that's how life feels. Right As we're imposed on us, all of these things and this weight. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And that summary is how all of this feels. Creation is like the pain that a mother feels giving birth to a child. And I want to remind you, as somebody who has zero experience in what this might look like, but I want to remind you of when these words were written. They were not written last year. They were not written 10 years ago. These were written 2,000 years ago. You know, before, before hospitals, before epidurals before scanning technology where you could see into the womb and be able to see so many things that we're not able to see, these words were written when childbirth was a very serious threat to the life of the mother that carries the child, even more so, infinitely more so than it is today. And Paul says that's how creation looks and feels. It's like the pains of childbirth. But in the midst of that very real awareness of the pain and the tension and the difficulties, he's also moving us into describing creation as something that is no longer decaying, but something that, while incredibly painful, is moving toward new life. See, the pain and even the danger of childbirth has been worth it since the very beginning of time. And it's not because it's been without risk, but it's because the risk is rooted in hope, isn't it? The risk is rooted in hope of new life. And what Paul is saying is that because of Jesus... And what's made possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit when we are born again is that every moment of waiting, every moment of frustration, every moment of decay becomes labor pain that is a sign of the hope that is to come. And that's really important, friends. Because without God, pain is just pain. And we can be frustrated, right, that that God doesn't take all of our pain away when we become Christians and when we pray, we don't always get the answer that we're looking for. We can be angry about that, but here's the thing. I've met a lot of atheists, and they experience life that's just as hard as I do. You don't believe in God, that's not going to make life easier either. Without God, pain is just pain. It is a universal human experience, no matter what you believe. But with God and God in us, The promise that we read here is that pain will transition to hope. Look at verse 24. He says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And if we're really honest, that's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, if you've ever been around church for any length of time, You've probably already heard this message. You've heard that hope is coming. You probably believe it. You understand it. It's a pretty basic concept. The problem isn't in those things. The problem is in our waiting patiently for it. How many of us are good at waiting patiently for something? Especially the challenges and the tensions that we're facing in this world and in the things to come. This is why Paul continues in verse 26. He says, "In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness." The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And not just prayers that we pray as we speak out, but prayers that begin from within. See, there's so many times that that, that you don't even know what to say when you pray. Have you ever been there before? I shared at the last service, we have an aunt and uncle of a little boy. Uh, His name's Colton. Many of you know him. He's seven years old. He goes to Jackson Elementary School here in Elkhorn. He is living on a mechanical heart right now. And as a church, we've been praying for this little boy. And I get updates from the family. Almost every day, I get a text message. In the first couple days, I had things to say. Maybe a scripture passage or some kind of an encouragement. But it has been such an up-and-down journey, I don't even know what to say anymore. And so all I tell them is that I'm praying. And Paul says that that that's okay. Look at verse 26. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Amen, that's me. Okay, what does it say? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you see what's happening with the presence of God going on inside of you that has nothing to do with whether you even know what to say? The Spirit of God knows what you're thinking. The Spirit of God knows what your heart is feeling. The Spirit of God knows the pressure and the tension of the decay of creation and exactly how it is hitting you in this moment and is able to bring those things before God in wordless groans. Because sometimes we need that, don't we? We need God to say, and help us to say in our hearts what our hearts can only say without words, so that God can do what only God can do, which is to bring our pain into alignment with the birth of His hope that is the will of God. And I'll leave you with this. I read a scholar some years ago. He said that if the Holy Spirit is like a wind, which is what Scripture de- describes it as, then our lives are kind of like a sailboat. I like this idea. And, he says, like a sailboat, we have some control, right? You could, you could grab the oar and you could work really hard. And you might be able to move here, there, and do some things. But, but the truth is that if the Holy Spirit is like the wind and if you're like a sailboat, then while we can put our rows in the water, the real power is found when we set our sail. and We allow the wind to take it wherever it leads. Friends, Pentecost is the day when the church lifted its sails. What does that look like? Verse 28, it says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. His presence of the Spirit as it began on Pentecost infuses hope in every moment of pain, in every future healing and present suffering, and in the presence of God in every moment when you feel alone. So let's pray for that now, knowing that it is ours to be given to us through the gift of Jesus by the presence of his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you. It is not lost on us the way in which you prayed and you spoke to the disciples when you said 2,000 years ago that you would send the advocate, the helper. And that the presence of your spirit in us and with us and through us and all around us would be even better than you walking the earth with the disciples because you would be so close. You would be within. And that's how close you desired to be with us since the very beginning of creation when your spirit hovered over the waters and you created life with your words. And so on this Pentecost, as we remember what it meant for the Jews, that you were foretelling what you would do, Jesus, for us as you saved the Jews from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, you would become the Lamb. And on the Pentecost, on Shavuot, as the Jews would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate the grain harvest and they would celebrate the giving of your word, we celebrate that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And on Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, the word dwelt within us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I'll be the first to admit, God, that this is something that is such a mystery to me that I often ignore it, that I don't think about it. But if prayer really is connecting whatever our present moment is with the eternal hope that is only found in you, then... The only way that that could be possible is if the eternal lives in us. You are the conduit. Your very presence is our connection to our Creator because you are our Creator and you live within us. And so we look at all of creation and we see the pain and the suffering that is imposed upon it. We see it when we don't take care of our earth. We see it as we fight amongst one another. We see it in disease. We see it in unanswered questions. That help us not to be fooled. That while the decay... <laughs> may be taking place right now because of what you did on the cross, Jesus, you will return and you will complete what you started then, what you promised to begin at the very beginning of time, and it is that we are moving toward a progression of new life and new beginnings and new birth, where every pain and every broken moment and every destruction and even every death will be but the beginning of an eternal life that will never end in you. And so help us now to put before you whatever we need to find that hope within. And if we don't have the words, may your spirit speak on our behalf. As we open our eyes, we